hard and great and strong sword will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, Leviathan, the twisting serpent, and he will slay that, the dragon that is in the sea. So, uh, again, these uh, Hebrew words are not maybe totally clear. We don't have to get into all that. Leviathan is a... What, I can't think of the word. What do you call it when you... Is it transliterate? When you transliterate a word from another language and just spell it in your language. Yeah. Right. Is that transliteration? Uh -huh. It just came to me. Well, Leviathan, <laughs> Leviathan is Hebrew. Okay? Yeah. It's Leviathan in Hebrew. And that's just transliterated. Uh, what does it mean? Well, we're not totally sure. Dragon, the, the, the last line, is I can't, it's Tanin. It's another Hebrew word. And it could mean a lot of things. It could mean a sea monster. It could mean a whale. It could mean... Dragon? It could mean dragon. And I know it says dragon. I'm just saying. There's a lot of... You know, it's just some unclear. Right? In Hebrew. Chris? Is the the word for serpent, is that is that in Hebrew too? No. Uh, yes. Okay. That one is more clear. That is either Nahush or Nahushdan. Okay. It was the name of that serpent they put up on the pole. Yeah. They called okay. it Nahushtan. Okay, it so it's the same word? Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's the same. So that one's a little more clear. Mm -hmm. But, but I mean, I, and Leviathan, well, I mean, we, we pretend that we know what it means, but, I mean, it's just a transliteration from Hebrew. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm happy with, with the, well, with the translations that are here. dinosaurs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so... Uh, God is going to put to death that old dragon. Uh, Israel's poets use this imagery to show the Lord's power in history over his political enemies and over the ultimate power of evil, that is the devil. So I thought we might just read uh, today as the uh, devil is finally uh, put to his uh, end in Revelation chapter 20. Uh, excuse me, Revelation chapter 12 about the final defeat of that old dragon. I mean, this thing goes on and on throughout Scripture, you know. Of course, we know that spiritual warfare goes on and on throughout the history of uh, the world. And we as God's people are called, I think, to fight the spiritual war against these demons and stuff. It seems to me that the era that we're in right now with this kind of crazy pro-homosexual agenda and sort of crazy change your gender kind of agenda, it seems to me that this must be demonic. I mean, the demons must be like just flying around and talking to people and stuff. Uh, so, I mean, we can fight it. You know, and prayer is our only weapon, I mean, against this. So I think we're called to be fighting this, this battle. We can fight it in our city. Pray that God would send his angels to protect our city and be an influence here in our city and restrain the evil one. I, mean, I think that's always good pray. Anyway, <clears throat> this is kind of like a steady state war that doesn't end until the very end. <laughs> is it, does that make sense? Is everybody on board for that? Okay. Chapter 12, Revelation. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. 
And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon, here he is, with seven heads and ten horns. <clears throat> I was just thinking this dragon has seven heads and Christ has the seven spirits of God. So mm. it's a perfect match where Christ defeats them. Uh, seven heads and ten horns on his head, seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to earth. <clears throat> and the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. <clears throat> the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God, and they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who, who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle, so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness, to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and a half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring and on those who keep the commandments of God and hold the testimony of Jesus. Then he stood on the sand of the sea, or could be, and I stood on the sand of the sea. Well, that's it. I mean, it's the story of the dragon is identified here in Revelation as the devil. I, it, we could do a lot of interpretive stuff here, and I'm not, I'm not sure that there's a fixed interpretation on some of these practices by Revelation. I do like, in verse 15, that the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman, that's obvious, that's the church. Uh, to sweep her away with the flood, but the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river to the dragon cord from his mouth. It seems to me that what's happening here, that this river that comes out of the, the dragon's mouth, is all kind of bad mouthing against the church and against Christians. I mean, we see it now. We see it now. I mean, it's coming out like a river, but the earth opens up and swallows these words of the dragon. What does that mean? It means that natural law and that the way the earth and the universe are formed and operate simply defeats all of this foul language of the devil. I mean, it's not in accordance with reality. So reality is not necessarily the word of God, it's just reality. Reality eventually wins. So if a person says, I'm a half man and a half woman, 
Well, that's a political statement, but the reality, I'm afraid, won't won't hold it. I mean, you don't have to be a Christian here. I mean, reality won't stand up. Uh, I mean, the, the words of the dragon won't stand up. Reality just defeats it. So, I praise the Lord for that. Does that sound okay? Everybody like that? Yeah. <laughs> I think one thing that I just heard, and they're doing, this is happening, is through AI, they can say you have a website that's a conservative website. They, they create they create fake people to sign up oh, on your sure. website, oh, and then they come in and their whole their sole purpose is to create havoc. Sure, I'm sure. You know, and, I'm sure. Sure. Yeah, I know, I know. But, no, but it's, it's just becoming well, overwhelming. Yeah, well, this, this is the flood of words that are coming yeah. out of the devil's yeah. mouth. One guy was saying he, he received 1,500 friends in one hour. <laughs> 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 but you should be kind of fishy about it. Yeah, <laughs> All right, so anyway, this dragon is Connor mentioned, and you know, it's associated also with chaos. Well, yes, uh, yes, the devil says chaos. And associated with that primeval chaos and the ocean and all, and the dragon comes out and so forth. Sure, it's chaos. It's not ordered life and ordered government. They, they thrive on chaos, though. The government Pardon me? Thri- the, yes. the government thrives on it, the news media thrives on it. Well, so yes, because sure. they can help us. If you've got a bunch of Puritans that are self-directed and obeying the Word of God, they need very little government. They need government, but not. they don't need a heavy police presence because they're obeying Christ. This is why our country was founded on that assumption that there was kind of a Christian underpinning to everything that was going on. I'm afraid that's not working. Okay, let's go on. That's verse 1. Okay, verse 2. In that day, then, as the dragon is being defeated, a pleasant vineyard, sing of it. I, the Lord, am its keeper. Every moment I water it, lest anyone punish it. I keep it night and day. I have no wrath. Would that I had thorns and briars to battle. I would march against them and would burn them up together. Or let our let them lay hold of my protection. Let them make peace with me. Let them make peace with me. In days to come, Jacob shall take root. Israel shall blossom and put forth shoots and fill the whole world with fruit. Well, this is one of those, I think, sort of multiple fulfillment kind of things. Uh, Are we talking about physical Israel? Well, maybe. I mean, Israel's been regathered and they're, they're there. You know. Are we talking about the Israel of God? Probably. And that the Israel of God eventually becomes productive and bears fruit. So this is not like what we read in Isaiah 5, 1 through 7. We don't turn there again, but Isaiah, or God through Isaiah, was complaining about Israel not bearing any fruit. I mean, they were a bad vineyard. But then a day is coming in which Israel will bear fruit and will become productive. Um, Let's see if we can read a couple more here. Um, So, as God deals with this dragon, this chaos monster, restrains his effect, the church is allowed also to be fruitful. 
And I'm sure in the bad old days of Soviet communism, I'm sure that the underground church was still fruitful. I mean, they were bearing fruit. People were being saved and so forth. Just like anywhere, I mean, you could think of. So, so this is what it seems to me to be talking about, that the church will eventually bear fruit. Um, let's see if we can read a few more. Uh, also, in 27, 2 through 6, Isaiah is foreseeing the return of Israel after the exile. Now, this prophecy here is before the exile, although Isaiah prophesies, prophesies a lot about it. But then the Babylonian exile, then Israel returns and they establish the land and bear fruit. So that's one sense. Another sense, I think, is that Israel of God bears fruit. So it's not like the bad vineyard that the prophets talk about in several places. Um, let's look at a couple of more passages about bearing fruit. Uh, again, uh, in Revelation chapter 5, verses 6 through 10, at the end of the era, there's another passage about bearing fruit. It seems to be about bearing fruit. Let's see. Revelation 5, 6 through 10. Solomon may have a thousand. 
the kiwis the fruit of 200. So there's just a lot of production happening here toward the end of the Song of Solomon. I think it's a picture of Christ and the church, really. So there's a lot of production that goes on in the relationship between Christ and the church. And I think we don't necessarily just have to think about evangelism. I mean, we can think about all kinds of fruit that's produced in the church. I mean, good works, I mean, feeding the poor, Visiting the sick, uh, visiting prisoners, I mean, cooking food and having fellowship. I mean, this is, on and on it goes. I mean, the church is being productive, you know, in many, many ways. All right, I, I've been just talking without hardly taking a breath. Does anybody uh, have anything here? Connor. Well, one thing that. I'm sort of thinking through as I'm reading this is there's there's this thing in Jewish tradition and it's never really said clearly in scripture but it's just sort of hinted at in various places and this is one of those places that that God uses Leviathan as food for his people <laughs> all right so it's it's at the moment that he kills Leviathan that you have the, the wow. bigger, right now, Jewish tradition makes a big deal about this, and it's a lot more explicit with okay. it, but it's just sort of hinted at. I don't think it's a coincidence that in the early church, the symbol for Eucharist was a fish. Okay. I don't think that this stuff doesn't happen arbitrarily, right? And I don't know if it was in, I don't know if it was in Jewish culture at this time, but it was common practice for a lot of different cultures to use fish as fertilizer. Or yeah, plant. Still, still they would bury fish in order to, yeah. you know, produce a good right. harvest. Yeah, right? right. So you see this throughout all these different cultures. Is that the, you yeah. know, the slaying of Leviathan is actually that ends up being food for the elect. Makes the vineyard grow. You even see this in that Revelation 12 story that as as Michael fights and defeats the dragon, simultaneously the the woman is being nourished in the desert. So there's this sort of thing that goes on where God slays Leviathan, slays the devil, and the devil itself becomes almost food for the bride. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. All right, let's go on, verses 7 and 8. Has he struck them as he struck those... This is uh, Isaiah 27. Has he struck them as he struck those who struck them? Or have they been slain as their slayers were slain? Measure by measure, by exile, he contended with them. He removed them with his fierce breath the day of the east wind. Okay, well, God has dealt and is dealing with Israel, but so not as to destroy them from a, as a people, I mean, or as a kingdom like the Assyrians and later the Babylonians who were mighty, mighty powers, but then they sort of went away and weren't anymore. But Israel is still with us. He chastens Israel, but Israel is still here. And no doubt he chastens the church, but the church is still with us. Still here. Look at Russia, the church is still there. Uh, verse 9. Therefore, by this, the guilt of Jacob will be atoned for. And this will be the full fruit of the removal of his sins when he makes all the stones of the altars like chalk stones crushed to pieces. No asherim or 
incense altars will remain standing. Um, so, uh, true repentance has certain characteristics in that we get rid of all the idols that we used to worship. I mean, we think, well, I mean, it is sin. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't perceive that I have a real problem with a physical statue that I'm worshiping. Uh, but, I mean, we could have it in other ways. But here, true repentance on the part of Israel will be smashing all those idols and breaking down all those false altars. Um, as Israel is regathered and comes back, yeah, that's right. And yes, they were cured of that yeah. statuary, idolatry, and all. They didn't do that anymore. But they fell into Pharisaism on the other hand, so it was neither fish nor fowl. I mean, they have a problem walking down a straight road. I'm sure we do too. Uh, anybody have anything on that? Well, idolatry takes on many forms. It does. Just trusting something more than you trust God. Okay. And yeah. So for, even for us, it may be more materialism. I trust my air conditioner more than God. Air conditioning. What? Yeah. All right, verse 10. For the fortified city is solitary, a habitation deserted. I think he's talking about Jerusalem. And forsaken like the wilderness. There the calf grazes. There it lies down and strips its branches. When its boughs are dry, they are broken. Women come and make a fire of them. For this is a people without discernment. Therefore he who made them will not have compassion on them, and who formed them will show them no favor. This seems to be a little bit out of place with the restoration of Israel. Um, but even though Israel might be restored to the land, without repentance there's no really uh, walk with the Savior, we might say. And uh, Pharisaism is a bad deal just adding a bunch of rules to love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul, love your neighbor as yourself, and it's coming out with a bunch of nifty rules about how we might do that, and it, it gets to be burdensome. Right? Mm -hmm. That's what Pharisees want. All right, verse 12, and I'll just read the rest here. In that day, from the river Euphrates to the brook of Egypt. And he's used this illustration before in Isaiah. From Assyria down into Egypt, there will be a highway. <clears throat> this has to be talking about last day stuff or the second coming of Christ or some kind of worldwide revival or something. I don't know. In that day, from the river Euphrates to the brook of Egypt, the Lord will thresh out the grain and you will be gleaned one by one, O people of Israel. And in that day, a great trumpet will be blown. Oh, there it is. And those who were lost in the land of Assyria and those who were driven out to the land of Egypt will come and worship the Lord on the holy mountain at Jerusalem. What chapter are you in? I'm at 27. Wait, what verse? I'm starting at verse 12. Just to, I wouldn't say the same thing. Well, now, now that I found it, maybe it is. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't see anything about the highway there. <coughs> well, there is one over. 
highway of holiness. <coughs> well, no, there's not a highway. The highway is not. It just says those oh, okay. who were lost in the land of Assyria were driven out to the land of Egypt will come and worship the Lord on the holy mountain in Jerusalem. This sounds to me like uh, last days things, the second coming of Christ. Uh, God can judge the nations and have mercy upon the nations, no doubt. Uh, and it seems like a great trumpet will be blown and uh, everything will be restored. It's, uh, this just points to me to the book of Revelation and so forth, the second coming of Christ. I like, I like with this evangelist at one time was here, he, he's, he suggested that every time someone comes to Christ, there's a trumpet blast. <laughs> so another one's coming in. It'd be pretty loud. Yeah, yeah, it's, so yeah. it's an honoring thing of the shofar blasting away. Well, uh, that's almost all that I have. I'm just going to read a couple of passages out of First and Second Thessalonians. This is about the coming of the Lord, uh, which seems to me to be pretty much what he's talking about here at the end. So, First Thessalonians chapter 4, Verses, beginning with verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive and who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to Him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion, in Greek that's apostasy, unless the great apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then that lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception, for those who are perishing, because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore God sends them a strong delusion 
so that they may believe what is false, in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself, God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Amen. Here you have that infiltration, you know, AI infiltration into Paul's work. They're sending false letters and all kind of crap. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. So, false letters. Yes, they say from Paul. The, uh, to just try to change the teaching. Yes, <laughs> yes. You don't need the internet to do these kind of crap. And then, you know, in some way, in some <laughs> way, the, the uh, invention of, of the World Wide Web has you know, part of it seems like it's fulfilled right here in, in uh, Second Thessalonians, how it's taking over and everybody's just clinging to it, you know, trying to, you know, yeah. using it as the way to, to way to solve all your issues and your problems. Uh, believing all kinds of problems. Friendship. Well, that's it. That's all I have. Right.